time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up? Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am Guy Swan, your host, the guy who's read everything there is to read about Bitcoin and then some. And uh, you are listening to the Crypto Economy Podcast. We are jumping into another quick read today. And uh, this is going to be a classic. And I actually think, I can't remember it. I can't remember exactly who it was that reminded me of this, but I, I, in the many, many conversations I had at the Bitcoin 2019 conference, someone mentioned that one of the most influential uh, things that they read early on was Michael Goldstein's Everyone's a Scammer, which is on the NakamotoInstitute.org website. And I stopped and think, thought about it for a minute. I was like, I don't think I've ever actually covered that one on the show. I want to say it was Pierre Richard who uh, actually mentioned that um, during a conversation, but I don't remember for certain, so uh, don't quote me on that. But that's what we're going to read. That's what, that's what we are going to start this week off with, um, just because it really is uh, just a great, fun article. It was written in 2014, so this was ages ago now, almost five years, uh, posted on September 11th. And again, this is by Michael Goldstein. I'm sure anybody who knows anything about Bitcoin OGs knows all about Michael Goldstein. In fact, I think, doesn't he run the, Satoshi, the Nakamoto Institute? I think, I think he's actually responsible for this whole thing. Let me check about Michael Goldstein, president. Okay, and Pierre's treasurer and Cody Wilson is director of communications. If Cody Wilson is still a part of this. Um, I know he's not had the greatest of legal situations recently, um, but yeah, so without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump into our read, and then we'll talk a little bit about it afterward, and again, this is titled, Everyone's a Scammer, by Michael Goldstein. There's a war going on. Bonnie and Clyde cannot simply rob First National Blockchain. They can hack servers and unencrypted wallet files or scan low-entropy brain wallets. But the costs of obtaining bitcoins hoarded on a high-entropy, password-protected paper wallet, for instance, are incredibly high. A computer cannot be expected to brute-force the wallet in the universe's lifetime, so a trespasser would have to employ expensive tactics such as kidnapping and torture on any prospective individual target. Criminals, con artists, and swindlers cannot rely on violence to get the wealth they desire. 
It has become too cumbersome. These scoundrels must rely on good old-fashioned market forces. And it's working. Bitcoin is poised for exponential growth, so the opportunity costs of not being involved in the highest personal degree possible are incalculable. Yet merchants, investment peddlers, and other hoarders have been able to convince countless Bitcoiners to part with their future riches, despite the obvious downsides given you have a long enough time horizon to see the coming post-fiat world. They'll tell you spending is vital, that Bitcoin 2.0 will be even better if only you give them some of your Bitcoin 0.9, or that your Bitcoins are worth only $475 apiece. They'll tell you this with a straight face, the wringing of their hands unseen across the internet. And once you have fallen to temptation, they'll leave you on your own to learn that there are no backseats. In the real politic of the blockchain, everyone is a scammer. There is a war going on for your bitcoins, and willpower is your only defense. Endless scammers everywhere. Bitcoin is a dangerous place. There is an endless list of hacks, scams, and thefts. Bitcoin promises a network with distributed trust. You know why? Because other Bitcoiners exist. Not every Bitcoin scammer is merely an amoral businessman or investor. Many are outright fraudsters and con artists. When you buy a rug from Overstock, at least you actually get a rug. When you send money to Ethereum, you may actually get a worthless Ether token, eventually. You know what you probably will never get? Your Butterfly Labs pre-order or your Gox Bucks. Some scams are pulled off by convincing other Bitcoiners to not take advantage of Bitcoin's value proposition. That is, they convince Bitcoiners that while they shouldn't trust third parties, this guy is totally cool. I'm looking at you, Mal Gox. Others convince them to play investment games that turn out to be Ponzi schemes. Sup, Bitcoin Savings and Trust. Some scams are the purest synthesis of Bitcoiner avarice and stupidity. Ponzi.io explicitly marketed itself as a Ponzi scheme, promising to send you back more Bitcoins coming from the pockets of the next investors. Have fun. Their address? 1 Ponzi UJUC etc. received nearly 350 Bitcoin. Some scams are outright malicious. Scammers have resorted to malware and ransom. CryptoLocker infected computers by encrypting the user's files and only gave up the private key if a ransom was paid in bitcoins within 48 hours. Scammers have resorted to blackmail. On September 8th, a hacker gained control of Satoshi Nakamoto's email account, using it not only to deface the Bitcoin SourceForge page, but to allegedly find out Satoshi's true name. From a Vice article, quote, After inquiring what the hacker was trying to get out of all this, he said, Bitcoins, obviously, but don't forget the lulls, end quote. Scammers have also gone to the trouble of leaking nude photos of celebrities to get some Bitcoins. Scammers will do whatever it takes to increase their Bitcoin holdings. You know this. You scammed someone to get yours. You probably did not outright defraud or hack someone like the above, but you necessarily took advantage of their short-term thinking. Merchants are scammers. At long last, Newegg accepts Bitcoin, along with Overstock.com, 
Tiger Direct, Dell.com, Expedia, and other major retailers and websites. So let's go spend all our bitcoins, right? Not so fast. Let's wipe off the drool from looking at all the shiny toys and think this through. Merchants have absolutely every reason to accept Bitcoin. BitPay recently removed all fees for payment processing, including currency exchange. Not only can merchants receive payments without fees, but there are, of course, a litany of other benefits, from no fraud or chargebacks to easy international payments. They can pass on their savings to customers or increase their profit margins. They also can and should hold on to Bitcoins as their accounting permits so as to earn profits from future price increases. After all, if Bitcoin increases adoption for payments, there are only so many units to go around, so each one will become more valuable. So merchants are in a good position. They can save money on their business, and they can try to purchase Bitcoins with retail goods, just as many purchase them with dollars or euros. If I were a merchant, I would most certainly encourage people to shop at my store in Bitcoin. I might even try to convince them, despite its fallacious economic reasoning, that spending Bitcoins at my store is actually good for Bitcoin. Certainly more than you saving and speculating on them. After all, quote, it could become worthless overnight, and its future depends on it, because I say so. I might even say things like, quote, my shoppers are among the first wave of Bitcoin users and we're thrilled to accept the cryptocurrency as a form of payment. Just like you, we also believe Bitcoin can be the future of digital currency. But if you've been saving it and hoping it will make you rich one day, you're better off spending it if you want it to succeed. End quote. By me, I mean Newegg. Their recent blog post is called Why Saving Your Bitcoin is Not a Good Idea. The reason? It means you aren't spending it at Newegg. Most merchants even choose to immediately sell the Bitcoins they receive. They scam you out of Bitcoins that they do not even want, uninterested in the future value of the network. Merchants are scammers because they lead you to believe that your Bitcoins are only worth the price of their retail good in order to allow themselves, or those to whom they sell the Bitcoins if they so choose, rather than you, to benefit from future Bitcoin price increases. And that's a good thing. This is not to say merchant adoption is bad. In fact, from the hoarder's perspective, merchant adoption is great. First, merchant adoption means that there is more demand for Bitcoin, that the Bitcoin network is growing, and that Bitcoin is thus more valuable than it was yesterday. Second, merchant adoption means that there are more places to spend Bitcoins. This does not mean a hoarder will actually want to spend bitcoins. More importantly, he can spend bitcoins. Demand for cash exists because there is uncertainty of future needs, and the holder of cash believes he will come across currently unknown opportunities in the future that can better satisfy his needs than any current opportunities. When an opportunity exists that he believes benefits him more than what the same cash can get him in the future, he is able to seize it. As Metcalfe's law shows us, the value of a network increases exponentially with each additional node. With each additional merchant, there are more potential people to trade with and thus more potential opportunities to satisfy his needs with cash. Of course, these benefits to the hoarder 
does not require merchants accepting Bitcoin given the right infrastructure. Zappo debit cards, for instance, give the hoarder the ability to use Bitcoins on existing credit card networks. This means hoarders can already use Bitcoin as their unit of account, whether or not merchants even know what a Bitcoin is. The more Bitcoin can be used as a method of payment, the fewer dollars hoarders must begrudgingly speculate on, a risk they typically only wish on government agents and skeptical economists. Thus, the primary advantage of merchant adoption is that your average balance of Bitcoins held can go up. You don't need to buy dollars in anticipation of making dollar payments. Instead, you can replenish your Bitcoin hoard after you make Bitcoin payments. Between merchant adoption and debit systems, Bitcoin becomes a more valuable good to hoard. Good news for Bitcoin. Investments are scams. Bitcoin is exciting. Looking at a static wallet file and balance is not. Instead of holding and forgetting, many Bitcoiners choose to put that money to use, and endless crypto peddlers are ready to snatch your Bitcoins up. They'll offer you mining contracts, present their plans for a hedge fund, or entice you into investing in a Bitcoin company. Today, the most popular investment vehicle for Bitcoiners are Bitcoin 2.0 schemes, ranging from MasterCoin to Ethereum. All of these are scams. Regardless of their ability to actually deliver their promises, they all fail a simple test. Is the return on investment positive? If you are stuck in a fiat mindset, you may well make a quick buck. But given Bitcoin's extraordinary expected growth, can one really expect to do better than one can by holding it? Long-term investors should use Bitcoin as their unit of account, and every single investment should be compared to the expected returns of Bitcoin. If hyper-Bitcoinization occurs, Bitcoin holders will see their purchasing power increase by orders of magnitude. Bitcoiners should think twice before throwing away even a couple of millibits toward a project just to see where it goes. A running joke in the community is how expensive the two pizzas Laszlo bought were. We joke about a million-dollar pizza, and hyper-Bitcoinization has not even occurred yet. I praise Laszlo for his entrepreneurial use of a new technology, but I do not wish for myself or others to be a Laszlo. Who wins here? It is not the investor, but the peddler of crypto dreams. Ethereum recently raised $15 million in their Ether sale for an unfinished project. In Bitcoin, of course. There isn't even a product yet, but investors have placed their bets. Ethereum now has over 30,000 Bitcoins destined to be worth unspeakable volumes of wealth while investors hold worthless hope. Investments are scams because they lead you to believe you can get a higher return than holding Bitcoin itself, despite the economics of Bitcoin naturally making this an absurd claim in the medium run. In a post-fiat world, there will be plenty of investments that have a greater return and risk than holding bitcoins, but there'll be assets that generate bitcoin cash flows. But they don't have to be. All right, we're about halfway through this piece. Let's take a quick break right now and um, hit our sponsor, and we will jump right back in at the section, but they don't have to be. 
but they don't have to be. If a Bitcoin hoarder wants to reinvest his profits, he need not go further than the Bitcoin network itself. The correct strategy for Bitcoin entrepreneurship, as Daniel has pointed out, is speculative philanthropy. While endless money has been funneled into altcoins, appcoins, vaporware, vulnerable third-party services, etc., there are many problems in Bitcoin that still need to be solved through open-source development, many of which are low-hanging fruit. By funding these projects, the security, accessibility, and usability of the Bitcoin network increase, thus making it an even better investment. Git coding. Every new Git commit is good news for Bitcoin. Hoarders are scammers. The Bitcoin hoarder is in a constant battle with himself to lower his time preference as much as humanly possible. It's the only way to optimize his Bitcoin holdings. My friends and I joke about starving due to the intense deflation, but I can't say I don't look back and wish I had skipped a couple of lunches in the crappy dorm cafeteria to buy $10 more of Bitcoins when I had the chance. Bitcoin hoarders are excited about the price rises, but they are also excited when the price is on its way down. Coinbase just months ago was willing to give me a Bitcoin for $1,200, and now they are only asking for $475. Whatever price, the Bitcoin hoarder thinks to himself, suckers. Bitcoin hoarders are in it for the long run. Their strategy is not to buy low, sell high, but to buy any, sell some highest. They will do anything to get their hands on more Satoshis, and there is nothing that makes them happier than a schmuck giving up the goods after being convinced Bitcoin is only worth X amount of dollars less than moon. These sellers have volunteered to hold the fiat shitbag, and hoarders will not be so quick to help them get rid of the stench. Indeed, hoarders are potentially the most dangerous scammers. While merchants and investments are outright with their desire to take your bitcoins, hoarders may not always be so explicit. A person can prove that they have the private key to bitcoins, but they cannot prove that they do not. With this in mind, it is plausible that any vociferous skeptic's bold assertion is actually a psyop attempting to affect market demand and subsequently the price in their favor. For instance, when Paul Krugman recently said in the long CryptoCon that it's not at all clear whether Bitcoin has any economic value, we cannot know with epistemological certainty that Paul Krugman is not a Bitcoin true believer hoping to get his hands on more and cheaper Bitcoins. Hoarders are scammers because they understand the exponential and very likely growth potential of Bitcoin yet are willing to convince other Bitcoin holders by any means necessary that the future value of them is probably not much more than the current market price. And you should thank them. Hoarding is what gives money value. And no, you can't have any. The Hoarding Feedback Loop People hoard Bitcoin. This causes a higher Bitcoin price, which leads to higher mining profitability and greater media attention. The higher profitability leads to greater total hashing power, which leads to greater security of the network. 
The greater security plus the added media attention leads to a greater perceived legitimacy. This leads to greater business adoption and greater user adoption, which leads us back to more hoarding and a higher Bitcoin price, etc., etc. Great news for Bitcoin. How to end it all. Indeed, Bitcoin scamming is a job that will never be finished. The market-based scams, that is, the ones that don't require fraud, will subside as Bitcoin absorbs the real money supply of all other currencies, when demand for cash begins to decelerate and eventually stabilizes. However, other scammers will always be looking for ways to screw someone out of their Bitcoins. The only way this will be solved is if trusted networks can be built. As has been said before, Bitcoin is great, but it won't fix our monkey brains. While Bitcoin offers a money with no trusted third party, it can only do so because the ledger is self-referential. The humans actually using it must always be in a mindset of caveat emptor when using Bitcoin. Through payment protocols, webs of trust, smart contracts, GPG contracts, and voting pools, users can mitigate the risk of engaging in various forms of commerce. The only winning move is not to spend. We live in a state of total war. Everyone who holds bitcoins is trying to get more by scamming others out of theirs or convincing others it's not worth trying to get into. Everyone who does not hold bitcoins was either scammed out of them or was scammed from getting into it. Having bitcoins takes the knowledge and the will to know and desire its future, while not having or spending them is lacking one or the other. If you hold bitcoins, you must take a breath every time you wish to send any to another person. Ask yourself if that person truly deserves untold amounts of your future wealth for pouring you a beer. You may just find the will to hold more. Hyper-Bitcoinization will not be a force to trifle with. Even a marginal Bitcoin holding right now will constitute a very significant majority of a Bitcoiner's portfolio. Once it happens, there is no going back. One day, your Bitcoin balance will likely never see the decimal point move to the right again. Bitcoin will break for no one on its race down the road from serfdom to global domination or liberation. Do not give up your seat for someone else. And that was Everyone is a Scammer by Michael Goldstein at the NakamotoInstitute.org. Uh, you should definitely be checking that out. If you're looking for anything interesting or fun or incredibly insightful to read uh, about Bitcoin or the the economics, the just kind of the deep dive of all the major principles and philosophy in this space. Literally, the Nakamoto Institute has one of the, if not the best collection of stuff that is uh, perfectly pertinent to everything you need to understand in Bitcoin. Uh, I will still find stuff up here that I haven't read yet. Um, I, I mean, every, every once probably once every two weeks, I just kind of go and I scour through their database of stuff and try to pick out something that I haven't read and uh, just read it, you know, just as a hanging out and trying to expand on some, some other thing. And it's just always good stuff. And almost every one of the quintessential, like, 
no questions asked prerequisite to getting the big picture of Bitcoin uh, pieces. All of those major works are here on NakamotoInstitute.org. So you got to be checking them out. You got to follow Michael Goldstein. He's one of the critical OGs of Bitcoin. He runs this thing. Um, so I will tag uh, all the relevant peeps in the Twitter page um, or the Twitter post, and I will also drop those links in the show notes of the episode that you can find on anchor.fm slash the crypto economy. And, uh, oh yeah, and also he has a tiny little disclaimer here at the bottom that scammer is a heuristic, not an accusation, <laughs> which is great. I'll just throw that in there right there at the bottom. Uh, now, there's, when I first read this, it's, it's really funny when you go looking through Bitcoin's history, you know, you should read everything, particularly when you're talking about something from 2013, 2012, 2014, like these five-year-old, six-year-old, like the people who were seeing this picture when there was no media attention where everything looked like a joke. Like when the people who got it back then, you should really stop and remember how important it is to listen very carefully to what they say now. Because they were already detailing the most profitable position to be in and what the nature of this thing was. Like this, the main argument, the, the main foundation of the philosophy and the understanding of Bitcoin has not changed. This is the same story you hear from the main Bitcoin people today. It, it just is. And to remember that had you, had you been listening to them back then, you have to you have to assess the different philosophies. Would it have been better to spend back then? You have to test those theories and philosophies based on what's happened in those five years since. And that'll lead you very far. Any kind of cursory glance at this will lead you extremely far from someone who tells you that spending your Bitcoins is what makes them value, valuable, which is just a, an absurd statement. Like, it's based on nothing in economics. It's just like one of those things that's, like socially acceptable it, it's like oh that's supposed to be what you say because like we're supposed to think of people who hoard money as evil and they're bad for the economy which is all a joke which is all absolutely untrue it's it, it's literally the claim that to produce things and not then consume them immediately is a bad for the economy that's that's absurd it's absolutely absurd to say that to produce a surplus is a bad thing for the economy it's a complete misunderstanding of money and standard, like, basic supply and demand. Anyone who tells you that the value of something goes up because you spend it, like, is, probably knows the basic economics of that, but has not considered that it is just a social thing that is telling them to think that, that is telling them to feel that certain way about spending it. But absolutely, there is, no, there is zero economic principle or understanding whatsoever that backs that up. You do not make something more valuable by trying to get rid of it. You make something more valuable by buying it, by holding it, by expressing your preference to consider it more valuable than what its price is today. So you have to realize just, just how prescient somebody like Michael Goldstein was during those times. And that there are some real Bitcoin OGs who have been around from the beginning who have been trying to convince people and explain this argument for like eight years in this space. That the ultimate utility of money is, in fact, uh, storing it. 
And it's funny, I hadn't, I hadn't read nearly as much about Bitcoin and the economic principles and the nature of money. I mean, I was already kind of deep down that rabbit hole um, at this point, but there's so many other um, pieces that I've read since that have just articulated some specific piece of the story or put, put one piece of that puzzle together that just made me just kind of shift the whole image and just go, oh, holy crap, that's a great way to think about it. Um, and I can't even remember the piece right now, which is like the, the, just the greatest frustration imaginable when you've read like a thousand different pieces on the economics, the Bitcoin, the technology, the nature of money, all that crap. And so you have all these references and points that you want to make, but you can't remember exactly where you got it from. So I can't, I can't even point you back to exactly what I read. I think, I think it was a, a Rothbard or maybe a Mises piece, but somewhere in the, the 300 odd episodes, I've covered something that makes a beautiful argument for why money is actually the ultimate hedge against uncertainty. And Michael Goldstein drops this line uh, in this actual article, which at the time when I was reading it back in 2014 or 15, whenever it was, it didn't quite hit me until I actually read the piece on the show that really struck me how important that statement is. That cash and money, uh, a physical money or a bearer instrument, is, is the hedge against uncertainty. Because um, I, I just would not have been able to articulate that argument uh, four or five years ago. But it's the, that is the money is the very good that has those critical characteristics, that has all of them together, that allow you to transport value across time without losing it. That is what makes a good money. The better the monetary properties, the better it transports value into the future. That is its utility. Anybody tells you its value is in spending has no idea what they're talking about, or they're just they're t- taking they're letting their social pressure trump any any like stop and actually think about it economically. Peter Schiff loves to talk about this that you're not doing anything with it. That, that hoarding money is bad and stupid or it's bad for the economy, which is coming from someone who uh, has taught me so much about like real economics, the fact that he harps on that makes me think he is hoarding Bitcoin, that he is one of those Bitcoin scammers because there's no basis for it. They're either full of shit or they've not spent any time whatsoever assessing what money is and why it exists. Hoarding money is its utility, period. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is about keeping value safe while you wait for a better opportunity in the future than, than something that's presently available. And this is wildly good for the economy because it's leaving your surplus production within the economic pool of goods when there's no useful thing to spend that capital on yet. It's about using your capital efficient, efficiently, not stupidly. It's about creating the greatest prosperity and productivity by not being forced to resort to some crap investment or purchase that's available today when there may be an absolutely amazing investment or some huge opportunity in just a year or two that stands to be tens or hundreds of times more productive and more aligned with exactly what you need than was available when you actually stored, when you first got the money. Imagine having a million dollars to invest in expanding, um, I don't know, something like the internet service in your area. 
uh, because this is what you care about. This is what you want to see improved in your community or your city or whatever. And uh, but because the money is garbage, because it's going to lose its value, you have to spend it within this month or you lose half of it. This is a simple exaggeration just to explain the principle here. Um, obviously, you know, you have to be in, in, uh, in Venezuela or somewhere at the moment to lose half your money uh, in a month. But actually, they'll do better than that typically. But uh, so you invest all this uh, in... Uh, this is before broadband exists, right, um, in, in our example. So you invest all of this into expanding the telephone network for, uh, more, for a wider dial-up coverage. You invest a million dollars in this. But then just a year later, when your money would have just been completely destroyed of its value because you're using garbage money, fiat, uh, broadband cable is invented and someone comes to your area looking for investors. Now your capital which could have produced hundreds of times the internet capability, is no longer available. You wasted it on dial-up. You wasted it on an old technology that was ready to die and be replaced. And now your community has to wait how long for someone else to store up all of that wealth again? If the fiat money has been garbage this whole time, well, then everybody's been throwing their money at dial-up, and nobody has anything left for broadband now that it's been invented and has come to your area. So how many years does your community have to wait with awful internet before they can actually improve it, before they can make multiple years worth of leaps in an investment opportunity that could utterly change what the internet is like in their area, that can make all of their lives faster, more efficient, allow them to connect to each other and communicate with the rest of the world at unbelievable speeds. All the while, they have to fight with garbage dial-up internet when all you had to do was wait for one year, and you could have had an explosive investment that could have slingshotted your community ahead of all the other cities around you by simply saving capital and hoarded the money, left the surplus in the economy rather than consuming it on shite dial-up, so that you could, have been, you could have invested that capital in broadband the moment that it was available. That is what hoarding money is about. It's about finding a better opportunity instead of being forced to waste it on something that you can find right this very moment. It is about translating value across time. That is its job because everything else corrodes. Everything else is not fungible. Everything else is um, like degrades or rots. Uh, everything else is hard to identify and measure. Money is the one tool that is excellent at all of those things. The dominant utility of money is hoarding. Anybody who tells you otherwise has no idea what money is and is just repeating what they've heard on the news and what politicians have told them and all the other social conditioning that just gets them to vomit up that phrase every time it's needed in the context. You, by hoarding and saving money, you are offering productive goods into the economy and not consuming it back. You are acting as a surplus. That is good for the economy. If you are wasting your money, if you are wasting your labor and capital on something that's a bad investment or on cons consuming something that you don't need to consume and taking those resources back out of the economy, you are hurting the economy. You are driving up prices of the goods 
and making them scarce for the people who need them more readily, the people who desperately need the food today. If you eat the food, if you, re- if you consume the food just because you know your money's going to be worth less tomorrow, so you might as well have two sandwiches, you're, taking, you're increasing the price of food, you're increasing the scarcity of that good for the people who are starving, for the people who need it right now. That's why our debt spending-induced economy um, with fiat money and fractional reserve sends the most critical goods into skyrocketing prices, education, housing, health care. All of these things are based on crap monetary policy and the incentives for people to dump their money on things immediately instead of saving and trying to make things more efficient for the future. Um, it's, it's a terrible set of incentives, and it causes awful, awful uh, uh, economic results. Um, it causes ever-increasing privacy, uh, uh, prices. It causes ever-increasing poverty. Um, it has people chasing a stable wage. Um, I mean, think about if we were in a disinflationary monetary policy, no one would ever have to argue for a higher minimum wage. Minimum wage would always be worth more. It would give politicians nothing to do. That's why they need, they must have an inflationary monetary policy so that everybody has always got something to bitch about that only politics can solve. Otherwise, everybody would get more and more valuable based on a fixed wage. Everybody would get richer based on a fixed wage. That it would, the responsibility from uh, the employee having to argue with the employer to get paid higher, the responsibility would now be on the employer to figure out, like, it would, be the, it would be them that had to go to the employee and be like, oh, we need to pay you less. Like, the default would be that you get paid more and that you make more money. That's a much better position to be in. They need you to sign a new piece of paper that says, we're going to pay you less. In the flip, in what we have now, they don't need your signature to, get to pay you less. That's what happens every freaking year anyway. Hoarding money is good for the economy. Anyway, that's just my uh, two Satoshis on that, whole, uh, on that whole thing. And I loved this article. This article is always great, just talking about how, like, just the nature of scarcity and the fact that everybody is out to get this and that you're always going to be told, um, uh, you're always going to be told uh, by all the scammers who are looking to get more Bitcoin because this is a scarce good that you can't get more of if you don't. As soon as you, I can't tell you how many times I have felt, 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 I have felt this feeling when I spend Bitcoin and know that I can never get it back that this will probably be the most Bitcoin that I ever have again. Um, and to see that number tick down when, you know, I'm cashing out to keep this thing alive or something, like, like I, know, I know that feeling. And it is. They are scammers for trying to take it from me, to try to convince me to spend and try to, try to ease my pain. Um, oh, my God, what is it with this, all this southernness? Ease my pain. You trying to ease my pain? Um, uh, trying to convince me that I've made the right decision by um, spending my savings. And uh, so, I don't know. I've always just loved this article. I thought it was incredibly, uh, incredibly forward-thinking to hear this, to see this in 2014 and to have it so meaningful uh, still today 
and iterating the principles and the philosophy that have been around since the beginning of Bitcoin and the understanding of the Austrian theory of money and uh, slapping so hard in the face the fallacy of Keynesian economics. I mean, the idea that, you know, you spend Bitcoin and it increases its value or that, you know, you should spend in order to make economic activity. Uh, it's the broken window fallacy that if we just do whatever economic activity that we can pull out of our ass right now, that that's, it doesn't matter if it's productive or wasteful. It's like, whatever, let's just break all of our windows and repair them. So th- and we'll be infinitely rich by wasting all of our time doing, getting something back that we already have. It's the economics of idiots. Don't be a Keynesian. Don't be a default Keynesian, as uh, uh, Citizen Bitcoin likes to put it. Um, so, yeah. I thought that was a great article. Um, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. And remember, whenever someone is telling you to spend Bitcoin, whenever some, someone is telling you that uh, you're doing wrong by hoarding your Bitcoin, by saving your productivity, by living frugally so that your uh, excess, so that your surplus is pushed out into the economy for someone else, when you are doing the most good possible by waiting for truly good investments, by waiting for truly productive opportunities, when they tell you that you are doing wrong and you are doing bad, know that they are scammers who just want your Bitcoin. Everyone is a scammer. Thank you, Michael Goldstein, for this amazing piece. Thank you to NakamotoInstitute.org for hosting this and such a great collection of other pieces uh, in the Bitcoin and uh, crypto economy space in general. All the best stuff is there. Don't forget to check it out. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And, you know, I started this podcast because there is just an ocean of amazing content that is written down out there in the Bitcoin space, and there's so much more always on the horizon. And so I am here making this available in audio for you guys and trying to help you make sense of it all. We're witnessing the birth of the crypto economy. We're witnessing the birth of a new global economy where we're we're using technology to give people back their liberty, their sovereignty, and their privacy. We want this to be ubiquitous. We want this to be available everywhere across the world, no matter what your jurisdiction, no matter what arbitrary boundary you appear to be behind, and that is what Bitcoin is doing. That is what these people are trying to explain and the principles they're trying to spread to everybody out there who doesn't understand or, or can't see the value in this or are missing just a piece of the picture. And I know you know someone out there who, who is on the edge of the rabbit hole and what is interested could, could go that next step to see what's down there and to see what the world might look like from a different perspective. And I hope you direct them back to the Crypto Economy uh, podcast. That's why I'm here. Um, I want to teach everybody and expand on the ideas uh, of the the philosophy to talk about the history of the cypherpunks, the economics and the nature of money and all of the amazing technological developments that are taking us, that are carrying us forward into this new world. So uh, that's why I'm here. I am Guy Swan. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I love you guys. You're the reason I do this. And I will catch you all tomorrow with another episode. But until then, take it easy, guys.